Hey, good morning, everybody. Uh, so good to see you. If you are new here with us, my name is John Wagler. I'm part of this Hill City team and so grateful you decided to join us and happy Mother's Day. Um, what an incredible day. Um, all of us have one in some capacity, otherwise we wouldn't be here. Um, but, you know, we're, we celebrate Mother's Day kind of differently uh, around here at Hill City because we understand that Mother's Day can be um, a very difficult day for people. And so uh, what we've always done on these Sundays is actually we just continue on with whatever series that we're in and it's never been Mother's Day oriented. So um, just so you have a heads up of what we're doing. Um, but I do want to say for you know the moms out there or if you've been a mother figure or um, you know we understand too those that have been maybe want to be moms and everything. So the level of emotion during a day like this is so um, so big, but I'm so thankful for um, all the moms out there, but also in a time where it can be tough, um, just know that we are praying with you and, um, and for you and alongside of you and everything uh, during this season. Uh, you know, we're in this series called Stronger, and uh, last week we talked about sexuality, and just FYI, this week we're talking about sexuality. Um, last week was really about kind of a higher view uh, around this topic and just the reality that the church has been such a huge part of the story and narrative when it comes to the brokenness around uh, sexuality and how we begin to uh, engage it and how the way that the church has approached it in general um, just hasn't been working. Like there's, you, when you take a look at where we've arrived at this point in time in 2021, it's it's kind of easy to see like, hey, what we've done as churches and as Christians just hasn't worked. And um, and so it doesn't necessarily mean I'm, I'm saying like, you got to change all your theology. I'm not even saying that. It's just our approach and the way we've gone about all this stuff, it has not worked. And so I think it's important for us to begin to look at some different perspectives, understand the fruit that's been produced throughout all this and begin to try and see like, okay, is there another way to go about this? Even when we think about um, what where it's all come from in terms of uh, this bad culture and bad fruit uh, within the church world, there's a lot of options. And depending how long you've been in church, we've had you know, sexual abuse scandals that have been a really big deal. We've seen, you know, leaders fall because of adultery or pornography or different things like that. We've, uh, I, some of you guys lived through uh, the purity culture of the 80s and 90s. Was that all bad? No, it wasn't all bad, but man, it really did hurt a lot of people and created kind of a weird dynamic of like fear around sex and then incredible guilt around sex. We've seen, you know, the vilifying of people. I was thinking about when I grew up, uh, my church back home, I'm a girl that I knew and that was my age, had gotten pregnant. And not everyone in the church was like, get out or anything like that. But there was a chunk of people in the church that really tried to ostracize her and thought so poorly of her and she did not feel welcomed um, into uh, church. And and just think how many people have been ostracized and hurt by the church in the midst of this conversation. And so that's been part in, or is the narrative or is what we have seen uh, in church for quite a long time. And, and what we talked about last week is that it's time for us to start over. It's time for us as a community to talk about it differently, react to it differently, um, engage with people differently. And we kind of set some guidelines in terms of an understanding of where our hope comes from and everything and where we got to get focused uh, in the midst of that. Um, and some of you might be seniors being like, well, Wags, that was great or whatever from last week, but sexual immorality is like a big deal. Like we've got to talk about that is in scripture. And I would say you are correct. It is in scripture. So good job, like high five. We agree on scripture. Um, it is in there. Sk sexual immorality is in there, but I, I do think we need to like 
pause for just a second because I think when you engage this topic, you also have to be consistent when you bring up scripture. So for instance, if you're amped and like, and you're like putting all your energy uh, around sexual immorality in the church and kind of how you see it, um, I think you've got to be consistent because some of those same passages you're pulling out also reference some other things. So I wrote some of them down just so you got to keep the same energy going for it. So if, you're, if your energy is high around sexual immorality, then, then it should be around jealousy. Um, anyone who's jealous, okay, uh, around corrupt speech of any kind, anyone who schemes, like bad business ethics would be an example of that, anyone who lies, all right, um, anyone who ruins someone else's reputation through uh, slandering, uh, 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 we've got um, uh, political, like think about the slandering with like political discussions, right, so you got to be just as amped uh, around that, um, anger in general, just like Anger, fits of rage, like keep the same energy, right? Uh, any kind of dissension of any matter, like any kind of separation, division, or anything like that, you, you, you've got to be the same level of consistency there. Uh, drunkenness, um, gluttony uh, is another one. Selfish acts and thoughts. Um, anyone who focuses on the things of this world. Um, people who break their promises. Uh, anything outside of pure, wholesome teaching, um, a lack of hospitality, uh, ethnic racial division, bad doctrine, adultery, divorce, empire worship, and of course the big one that we all love to ignore, greed. So yes, sexual immorality is in scripture, but again, for consistency's sake, I hope the energy you're keeping around sexual immorality is the same for all of those things I just met, uh, just mentioned. So Typically, I, I don't see that as the reality in people. I mean, there's, of course, reasons for that. Um, but I just wanted to bring that forward because I think it's important then to begin to start thinking through, like, then what do we do here? Like, what do we do to start over? What do we do to begin to engage this in the right way? And you might be sitting here thinking, like, yeah, but, Wags, like, secular thought has been horrible around this. And and you need to attack secular thought and everything else. And, and I would say, sure, I could. It's not actually hard to pick that apart. Um, but here's what I also think is important. Secular thought is meeting expectations. The church isn't. And I think that's important for us to really think through um, because until we understand that there are expectations that are placed on God's people and we are not meeting those expectations and we will constantly be pushing the blame towards secular thought and things that are actually completely out of our control. It's funny, sometimes we'll be like, look at culture and everything else. And I, and I do, and I, I engage in that conversation and everything, but I'm like, culture is doing and secular thought is doing what it's supposed to be doing. Like we can't blame them for that, right? Like so, but we've got to look at what we're supposed to be called to as Christians and followers of Jesus and what deeply matters. And so today what I want to do is, you know, last week was about getting us thinking about starting over and our approach and just kind of like, and again, we talked about healing in this conversation. We talked about humility. We talked about love and grace and everything. And and so that was like a heart level um, maybe not so much practical information, but really like a heart level, like how are we supposed to approach everything, uh, even though it's so complicated and everything. But this week, I want to, again, in this element of starting over, like layer in another piece um, of this. And um, because a lot of times I think people in this conversation around sexuality, we always, we keep starting in the wrong spot. You know, folks will talk to me in the big, yeah, but what about this, Wags? And, and what about, can I do this? Or can I do this? Or whatever. And, and what about, what's your rule over here? And I'm like, 
no, we need to start over here. Like we're, we're missing the, the main part of the conversation. We're missing this part. You keep going over here and they're like, I don't want to, I don't want to go to the start. I don't, I want to know what, you know, the rules are or whatever. And I'm like, no, 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 we have to go back here because there are very few people that I know, honestly, that have like a strong sexual ethic and can articulate it really well that goes along with scripture. And people are like, no, what, what can I, or can I not do it? And I'm like, no, 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 we have to talk about a sexual ethic. We have to talk about like what this looks like. Like this is like, super important. And they might say, well, then I don't want to be here. And I'll be like, well, I don't want you here either. No, I'm just talking. I don't really do that. No, but like there's a, a reality of like what happens in that discussion. And, um, and so I want to go to the beginning where we need to start. All right. Listen, I understand there are other conversations, other questions, other things that build off of this. Um, but again, the starting over of the heart was last week. And then the starting over the discussion, like the discussion points of where we kind of go off of or what we're going to do this week. And again, if you are note takers, I'm telling you, y'all, I'm going to, I'm going to, I don't normally do it to this level, but I'm going to kind of overload you with some like bullet points today. And so if you don't like that, sorry, tune in next week. Um, if you do love it, congrats. This is going to be a great week. All right, so here's where I want to start. And again, like trying to build the right kind of layers in our thinking uh, with this letter from John, who's one of the closest friends of Jesus. All right, so in John chapter one, uh, it says this in verse 12. It says, but to all who believed in him and accepted him, he gave the right to become, look at this beautiful language, children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, meaning like it's not by what we've done, right? but a birth that comes from God. All right, so this becomes like a critical way for us to begin to think about, all right, where is the starting point in this conversation? You might be saying, that has nothing to do with sexuality. I would say it has everything to do with sexuality. This is the starting point. And you might, you might say like, well, what is the starting point? And it's really simply this, that we have a Christ-centered identity, all right? That is the starting point of all of this. And here's why the Christ-centered identity is so important. Labels and how we talk about ourselves matter. Labels uh, help develop certain things in us. Um, labels really push our perspectives on certain things. And so it's important then from the start that we say, all right, who am I in this conversation? And here's who you are. If you are a believer and if you kind of accepted this message of Jesus, then you have a Christ-centered identity. And our faith won't fully form until we have a Christ-centered identity. And so we've got to, again, it's starting off with this, this conversation, which again is so complicated around sexuality, but, but we start with a Christ-centered identity because that funnels everything from that point. Um, I wrote this down this week. I said, we aren't Christ-centered if Christ, if Christ isn't at the center of how we view our sexuality, okay? So you think about that for a second. So often in this conversation, it's about desire. It's about um, orientation. It's about uh, perspective. It's about past experiences. It's about just what someone wants to do. It's about marriage. It's about all these other things, okay? And do all those other things matter? Sure, it matters in the context of sexuality, in the context of our conversations, but it is not the main point. The main point is being Christ-centered. The main point that everything flows through, how we talk about our sexuality, is Jesus, is Jesus. If we don't have that, 
then we will immediately veer off from what Jesus actually has for us. And so what does that mean then? Like, what are some things when we think about a Christ-centered identity? Here's the first thing, that I am a child of God. I love that part in the passage where, you know, it says that in verse 12, he says he gave the right to become children of God. And here's why it becomes so important in terms of how we personally think about it and how we think about others. Uh, when we start having this conversation about sexuality, then it's like, oh, I'm a child of God and so are you. And so in this conversation, that becomes a starter point because why? We're both talking about having a Christ-centered identity. And that allows us for, for me to see myself as a child of God, but also to see you as a child of God. And so then what does that mean? Well, we're family. We don't like to talk about it that way around this conversation, but it's true. We're family. You know what? And in family, like we love one another. It's interesting. We, we focus so much on these sexuality passages in scripture and try and beat people up over them in so many different ways. Um, but we often gloss over all the brothers and sisters passages um, that we see and the way Jesus taught around what his community should actually be like. And so we're family. And in a family, there's no mistake. Uh, there's no illegitimate child. Um, and if someone's hurting in a family, in a healthy family, we help that person. And so we are family. And that's important for us to begin to see. A lot of times when people's um, sexuality is kind of gotten to a level, it's like really broken um, because of maybe something that happened to them or maybe a decision that they made or whatever the reason is, we often can get away from this idea that we are a child of God. And so if you're watching here this morning and you've struggled with this idea or maybe something about what has happened in your sexuality, um, maybe it's abuse that happened or something, um, I just want you to hear that because part of where your healing will begin to happen is this understanding that you are a child of God and that he's with you in the midst of this, and that you are his brother, or you are his son, or you are his uh, daughter. Um, here's another thing that deeply matters. So we've got child of God. Um, that The second thing that ends up really mattering with a Christ-centered identity is that we center on Jesus' teachings. All right? We centered on Jesus' teachings. This is important. You guys have heard me say this a bunch of times. Everything needs to go back to what Jesus taught. The way Jesus taught was always outside of secular culture. It was outside of religious culture. Um, it was revolutionary to the way people thought. And so even when we have this conversation on sexuality, and this is like something I just wish we would get to. It's like, I want to be Christ-centered, and the way I want to think about this should be revolutionary to all the people that are around me. Here's a third thing that I think is important. Um, we are image bearers, all right? We're an image bearer. And, and, and why do we think about it this way? Because Jesus thought about it this way for us. He he, a few different times, he references um, going back to the creation story in Genesis chapter 1, and that we are all image bearers. But here's what ends up happening in particular around this conversation on sexuality is we start with sin. And uh, a, a while ago, I, I said there are, there are kind of two types of Christians. There's probably more than that, but just I'm trying to make it simplistic. There are two types of Christians. Uh, you have Genesis 3 Christians who would say we start with, hey, everyone's sinner. You need to feel your sin and everything else. And that Christ's love for us comes in on that sin. And like they celebrate you know, Christ and his death and resurrection, but we start off with sin, okay? And, and, and that's, that's like, and that's an option, 
Um, I would say it's not the healthiest option um, because what ends up happening when you start with that, then we start viewing ourselves as worthless or viewing ourselves as depraved or viewing ourselves in a, a negative connotation. And so then what we try to do typically is we believe in the power of God, but we white knuckle sin and we really concentrate on behavior modification and really coming down hard on people for their sin. However, if you flip it and go, we are image bearers, which is Genesis chapter one, and we image God, then what ends up happening is we think of that first, and then we, our sin kind of flows through that, all right? So then everything begins to change. And so when I was thinking about um, that piece of it, here's what I jotted down in my notes. I said, when we see the good and God in people, we will be less fearful and judgmental and respond with more grace and love. So when we see one another's image bearers, that's how it happens. If we see each other as just like flat out sinners and you're a sin, I'm going to concentrate on your sin. I want to make you feel guilty. But man, when we see each other as the image bearers of God, we start saying, oh, I want to see the good and God in you. And when that happens, I'm far less fearful of you. I'm far less judgmental. And then I'm going to offer up way more grace and love to the people around me. Here's the uh, next part, why Christ-centered identity matters. And what kind of we take this part in to start. Um, we build... You're going to think, where's this coming from? We build wells, not walls. <laughs> we build wells, not walls. Again, this is part of like how we see everything. So let me put it to you this way. In a typical kind of setting within Christianity, you, you've, you've got a, a church here. Let's, let's do that. And this looks good on the front end, but here's what you realize about this church. Quite often, we've got walls everywhere. And these walls that are built are really intended to keep people out. And we think of this structure that's put in place and we think, all right, you've got to really, you've got to, you got to do exactly what this church says, conform exactly to what this church says. And so we build these walls. And in order for you to get over these walls or kind of find the, the key to this door to get through those walls that is typically right there, like you, you've got to do exactly what we say and you got to fit a certain way. And it's got to, it's got to fit a certain formula. If you think about it this way, it's like, all right, A plus B equals C, um, that's C being Christian, right? And we kind of fit this perfect formula. And once you do that, then you can get through these doors. But if you don't, like we're going to kind of push you out. What's interesting, if you think about this story in uh, John chapter, chapter 4, all right, in John 4, Jesus is there, and uh, he's he's at this well, all right, he's at this well, and here's, here's Jesus, and then he's with this woman, all right, and at this woman, he's defying all um, cultural stereotypes, he's going against all customs, he, this moment with those two at the well should never have happened, like it just shouldn't have happened. Um, but to be around Jesus is to mean, man, you kind of disrupt all the, all the religious norms, all the cultural norms. And what ends up happening is in this conversation, she was broken uh, all around her sexuality, making honestly terrible decisions. And typically this woman would be pushed out, like never to be seen again in the presence of a man, never to be around someone who's religious, like really kind of degraded in the community. But what Jesus does is he comes in, he has this wonderful conversation with her and you can read about it on your own. But he says, you know what? I'm going to give you this living water. All right, so this, this, this formula that the religious system has does not fit into who Jesus is. And so this formula that means, like, that we saw earlier where everything is just like this perfect little box, all right? Um, Jesus is like, no, like, my box is, is, is different. And it's actually not even a box. It's like, it's like this big swirls <laughs> in, in all these layers, right? And we see it like this. And then on this continuum, there's, like, people everywhere, all right? And 
you see all these people everywhere. And some of these people are looking away from Jesus. Some of them are looking towards him, right? And some of them are far away and some of them are closer than the others. And But in the continuum of Jesus and in the way Jesus works and where his people should work, it's like, no, no, no. We are building wells for people to come. We are building a place for the living water. But, like, but they're, there. they're so far away, but we, we gotta figure out how to get them to turn back to Jesus, right? And see what this really could be. Um, here's what I think. Instead of like, giving people living water, we're like offering like LaCroix. That's what we're doing in churches. And all right, you might love LaCroix. I just hate it. I think it's disgusting. So I feel like we we have this living water we can give, but we're giving people this kind of weird version of it that might seem like it's healthier than soda, but in the end, there's some weird probably chemicals in it. And so my point is, is like, what are we offering up as the church? Like, are we building walls or are we building wells? Because here's what we know about the brokenness of all of us. It is the amazing grace of Jesus that heals the brokenness within us. So we've got to like offer that up and create spaces and communities. And even when we talk about this conversation, like this is our starting point, right? You're a child of God. I'm a child of God. All right. That is like our starting point. We center on the teachings of Jesus. We're both image bearers and we want to be a place of like, hey, we're building wells for people to come along. Now you might be saying, whoo. All right, is, is that it? And I would say, no, not quite. Here's a question for you before I head, head into something that Jesus taught. Are you more excited about God's love for you or romantic love with someone else? This is like a really good question to ask because we've lost the beauty of Christ's love for us. All those things that I just described that are so important to this conversation around sexuality can get lost because we've lost the beauty, the power of who God says that you are, who God says that I am, what his love for us actually means and how that forms our identity instead of something else that is happening. That's an important question for us to answer. Now, I wanna highlight something that Jesus taught because I would be remiss if I just said like, all right, here's this piece because sometimes people say like, well, Wags, Jesus didn't even talk about sexuality. And I laugh at that because I'm like, no, he definitely did. And um, it's actually pretty clear a few times where he did. And we miss out on some important things. So I'm going to go through a couple of passages. And I just, again, note takers, you're going to love this little bullet point list I give you. But I want you to see if we want to be Christ-centered in our identity Christ-centered on how we kind of engage this topic and where the starting point is, okay? Now, it's, this is going to feel like super weighty, but watch this. In Matthew chapter 19, it says Jesus is talking, and he's like, some Pharisees came and tried to trap him with this question. So they ask him, should a man be allowed to divorce his wife for just any reason? And Jesus says, well, haven't you read the scriptures, right? He's like, haven't you not engaged the scripture? He says, they record that from the beginning, God made them male and female. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Continues on. Since they are no longer two, but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. And so what we see right off the top is that people are going to always try splitting apart what God intended to be. Okay, that's important. So God sees all this very differently. He says, then the people ask him, then why did Moses say in the law that a man could give his wife a written notice of divorce and send her away? They ask. And then Jesus replies, Moses permitted divorce only as a concession to your hard hearts, but it was not what God had originally intended. 
And I tell you this, whoever divorces wife and marries someone else commits adultery unless his wife has been unfaithful. There's a lot to that, all right? So don't jump on that piece of it. Um, I've taught on that before. But Jesus' disciples then said to him, if this is the case, it is better not to marry. And then Jesus responds with, well, not everyone can accept this statement. Only those whom God helps. Some, again, then, he go, then Jesus flows into this. Some are born as eunuchs. Some have been made eunuchs by others. And some choose not to marry for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let anyone accept this who can. Now, this is a loaded passage around sexuality. And this is why I always laugh when people are like, Jesus didn't talk about sexuality. I'm like, man, you really missed it in this passage. Because watch all these things that Jesus highlights. And I scripted these out for you so I won't, won't write all of them down. I want to just kind of flow through these. Um, here's what the first thing that we see. That Jesus has a high view of marriage. Okay, like, like so high. And... Um, Honestly, to a level, Jesus puts marriage at a level um, where actually um, he would say that marriage is not the norm. It's actually not for everyone. Like that's the way that Jesus talks about it. And even Paul does uh, as well. And so his, his high view of marriage is this incredibly high sexual ethic is also coupled with this unbelievably high like, like level of grace towards others, right? So Because he knows we're not going to be um, perfect around it. We say celibacy too hard, and Jesus says marriages. Isn't that a whole different concept? And can you imagine how that might reshape the conversation if that's how we kind of viewed everything? And uh, I wonder how different the, the conversation on sexuality would be if that was the way we actually thought about it. That actually, you know, we're like, oh my gosh, celibacy is so hard and, and not, you know, all that stuff. But Jesus is like, no, 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 actually, like marriage is actually like so hard. Why? Because it's such, uh, um, uh, he has such a high view of it. The second thing is we see no sex outside of marriage. You're like, I didn't see that in there. Sometimes people have said to me, Wags, there's nothing in scripture that says no sex outside of marriage. And I would actually agree with them um, to a certain level. And um, I think you've got you've to put in a lot of context within scripture and look at the wholeness of the picture to begin to see that. But when Jesus points back to the creation story, that's when he talked about, you know, male and female and, and you know, then two becoming one in that part of it. He's not being prude. He's not suppressing anything. He's... Um, He's just creating boundaries for like the fullness of sex. And so what he's actually saying there, he's like, sex did not happen before marriage. So by him pointing back to marriage, he's saying that, man, nothing is supposed to happen sexually outside of marriage. And that becomes like a key kind of point in the midst of this. And so we start thinking like, okay, here's what else that means then, that sex is also, also good but people have made it bad or people have made it selfish or people, whatever, have made it like so, so rough for folks. But, but like it's good because it was in creation, but only when it was actually before uh, marriage. And here's what else we begin to see then. If that's true, then, then God's actually designed us that we don't have to give in to our desires, right? Like that we're not just a product of our desires. We've got to understand that piece. Um, the third thing, no sexual, uh, no selfish sexual choices, um, Matter of fact, it is selfish sexual choices that create all the injustices that we see around us when it comes to like human trafficking, pornography, you know, demeaning women, you know, just sleeping with whoever you want. Like those selfish things create injustices for people, create the culture that we've seen. It's, you know, interesting, you know, you see even in the workplace when like some of the sexual things that have happened that have created this kind of hierarchy for men over women. It's like, 
Well, that's because of selfish sexual choices um, that have happened around that. And here's what selfishness does. Selfish choices put us at the center. And that is the heart of what like sin does. So if our mindset is like, I just want to do what I want to do. Well, like that's a sinful mindset, right? Because we're putting ourselves at the center. This is also why when um, culture tells us um, to just fulfill yourselves in that, like that's the highest level of achievement is like self-fulfillment. And Jesus teaches, no, the highest level of achievement is learning to give ourselves up for something. That's why the Christianity feels repulsive to the culture around us. And the same thing in this conversation around sexuality. Um, in this context with Jesus, it was the selfish choices that made it unsafe for women in the culture that created um, brokenness in families and everything and created like, then they had to create these laws in place, like the hard hearts that Jesus talked about. Like that's why the laws had to be put in place. We see um, not everyone can accept this. Not everyone can accept this. He's like, I've got a high sexual ethic, a high marriage ethic, um, and understanding what this should be. And he's like, but not everyone will accept it. And he knows that, and that's why he gives people so much grace and kind of space for the process and everything. But if you can't accept these certain things, it also means like in the people with Jesus, in particular when following him and stuff, it's like you also can't do everything. Like there's certain things that go along with that. Um, he elevates celibacy and singleness. He actually elevates it equivalent to the same level as marriage. Um, I read this somewhere, and I don't even know where. I don't know if I wrote this down in my notes um, in my journal or if someone said this. So I apologize if this is someone else's quote. But I wrote this down. If you think celibacy is a cross to bear, then there's a good chance you've made an idol out of marriage and sex. Okay? Um, Number six there, sexual minorities are part of the family of God. Like they're part of the family of God. So often they're pushed out. Um, but what we see here when he talks about the eunuchs, they were, they were representation of the sexual minorities. Um, and so we see even here that sexual minorities are part of the family of God. Seventh thing that we see is you can flourish without sex and marriage. All right, so when Jesus is calling these people to this kind of high view of sexuality, high view of marriage, high view of celibacy, all these things, and here's what he's saying. The idea of sex is not what defines you. You can flourish uh, without it. Look what he says here in another one of his teachings in Matthew chapter 5. He says, and this is in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But, so here's what he's saying. You heard it this way and you kind of talked about it this way, but I'm telling you it's deeper than that. And he says, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And so, and then he says, and if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than your whole body to go into hell. And so you might be thinking like, whoa, this is intense. And I would say, yes, it's super intense. And that's the way that Jesus kind of taught about. And this is why I'm talking about, man, there's this base that we've got to start with and this conversation we have to start with because Jesus was so intense about it. But look what he adds to this. So I, I listed out the first seven from there, but I added these two other ones. That selfish choices release hell. That's what Jesus is actually talking about here. He doesn't literally mean to God dry out or cut your hand off or anything. But what he is saying, he's like, when we engage this level of thinking, where we let lust go and everything else. First, we've got to understand that those selfish actions release hell. Think about it this way. Um, When you're staring someone down in a sexual manner and lusting after them, you are demeaning and devaluing them. 
right? Because they're just a piece of something for you. And, and so that releases, like, well, what is hell? Hell is like this release of anything that's opposite of, of Jesus in the way of the kingdom of God. And so that becomes like a significant um, piece of this. Think about the fact we've got a multi-billion dollar industry like that is centered around sex with pornography or Hollywood or music, right? Like that so much is like sex sells. And so even at that point, like it's selfishness, but what does that do? It releases hell into uh, this world. Um, the last thing there is that everything starts at a heart level. So I know I just gave you nine things from like two simple teachings and there's more, again, there's so much more I could build um, off of all of those things, but that everything begins at a heart level, that we can't let anything take root in our hearts or that's what actually um, grows. And so we have to pause here for a second, be like, do I actually want what Jesus taught to flow through me in how I view um, sexuality, how I view my choices, because it boils down to uh, our hearts. Now, is this about judgment or condemnation or anything else? Absolutely not. If you've been around here any length of time, you know that's not how we operate. Um, We appreciate people's process. And is anyone perfect in this? Absolutely not. But my point is that what Jesus has taught here and what our focus has to be like, that is the starting point. So many of our whatabouts are never about what Jesus taught, but what about, it's like, what about what I want to do? And so again, even when you kind of process some of this stuff, it's important to be like, you're going to get, you're going to get all the grace in the world from me. Um, you're going to get forgiveness from me. You're going to get like um, help from me and everyone on our staff and everything else. And so this is not about anything. I'm just saying like, hey, there is a way that we should be processing all of this through this high level that Jesus actually engaged us with that is actually critical to our um, engagement. Um, I wrote this down as well. I said, if your sexuality is your identity, then that is the source of your perspective and choices. And so I want Jesus and that Christ-centered identity to be the source. Like that's what actually deeply matters. Him being our moral authority in the midst of this, like is what deeply matters. And so Again, you might be processing all of this right now, and um, there's so much that goes into this. And because even when you think about it this way, if everyone followed the sexual ethic that Jesus was trying to put out there, I wrote some of this down. If, if we just followed that sexual ethic, just process this with me, all right? There would be no adultery, no divorce, no pornography, no body image issues, no abuse, no rape, no human trafficking, no objectifying one another, no bad memories burned into your brain, no regrets. Single folks um, are placed at the same level as married and communities reflect that. Um, The workplaces would be equal. Women are no longer blamed for man's lust and men deal with their heart issue. Women don't have uh, to look a certain way for attention and try to have like sex sell whatever they have. Um, Friendships wouldn't get weird. Now, let me ask you something. If that's the way it was, is that more freeing or less freeing than what we actually currently are experiencing. And you might be saying, well, Wags, I've never experienced that. And man, so much harm has been done through these people that say they're following scripture. And so much harm has been done by trying to hold to what the Bible says. And I would agree with you. And I would also say this, that just because someone did a poor job of representing what scripture should, or, or, or did a poor job of representing what scripture actually says, does not mean scripture isn't true. Does not mean what Jesus taught isn't true. 
And so the kind of the idea of the harm argument is like a real thing in what people have experienced. I'm not belittling that whatsoever. However, I am saying that we do have to re-engage scripture in a healthy way to see is like, all right, what is it actually saying? Because that is like an authoritative piece in our lives. So what do we do with all this? Right? Like there's, I've just kind of laid out a lot. Okay. And I understand that it's way more than I probably should have. But um, so what do we do? Here's what I want us to do today. Um, We're going to pause, you know, here in prayer in just a second. But I think first, we've got to have a time of confession and repentance. We've got to do that. Maybe from the ways we've thought, maybe the ways we've interacted, maybe some of the things we've done, um, maybe from the ways that we've thought or talked about other kinds of people. Um, I think the second thing we've got to do is take a personal inventory. Like, where am I with all of this? How has my view of sexuality impacted my life and perspective and choices? And, and what, what are some changes that maybe I need to engage? How do I maybe start a conversation with taking steps in the right direction? I think a third thing that's really important um, is um, to begin to have this mindset that every interaction I'm having as I'm starting as, and thinking in this way, the person I'm looking at right now is an image bearer of God. And that kind of sets the tone for our conversation. And so, and the fourth thing is, is to be gracious. Be gracious. Be gracious to yourself um, in this because um, no one's perfect. Um, Be gracious um, in the steps that you need to take. Um, be gracious to another person who might have a different perspective, even theologically, than you. Like, just because someone has a different perspective doesn't mean they hate you, doesn't mean any of those things, or um, they, could, they, they too can love Jesus and have some different perspectives on some things. But So be gracious to one another. Let's pray. So God, um, I, I first want to um, talk to people here this morning that maybe have just been so hurt um, and need healing and need hope in the midst of this and um, or maybe feel like, oh, I've gone too far. And um, God, I just pray through all this that they would know that um, there's no such thing as going too far with you and um, that you can redeem anything. You, you can't erase everything, but you can redeem anything. And, um, and that the cross is still the point of all of this. The cross is what establishes our identity. The cross is what allows us to be called a child of God. And so, God, I just pray through all of this that um, we would get back to the start of this, knowing that no matter where we've been, no matter what we've done, no matter how we thought, if we can just kind of start back over here and be like, I want to have this all flow through you, that that's where freedom comes in, that's where hope comes in, that's where healing comes in, that's where um, the right things are set in place um, for our lives and for how we interact with one another in the midst of this too. And God, I just pray like through all this as well that, um, again, as we kind of sang last week live in the services, just that this is a moment when we your hands just kind of on it and that the Spirit's just moving in our hearts and in our minds throughout this and reshaping how we approach this entire um, subject matter. And then we do it through you. In your name we pray. Amen.